Good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles, the New Testament, to the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans. Romans, I'm going to be reading chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our hearts and to our souls. Father, every jot, every tittle, every comma, every letter, every word and every phrase that we are reading here is ordained by you. Bring us into Paul's life and experience here, that we would learn of you from him to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He also wrote in the New Testament that, that God purposely chose him a wretched piece of junk, a persecutor of Christianity, of Christians, because they were Christians. He called himself the chief of sinners, and he said, God chose me to be a model for all who would come after me, like us in here, to be a model that God's grace is really, really deep, no matter how bad any of us were. And so as we look at this passage, follow me, as I follow Christ, we should be moved to ask ourselves, 
Am I a person who gives thanks to God for the salvation of other persons? Just like Paul did? Do I pray for particular Christians in proximity to me whom God has brought into my life and do it often like Paul did? And do I yearn to be around fellow believers in Jesus in order to be a strength to them? And that they would be a strength to me like the way Paul lived his life. To follow Christ the way Paul did, we should cultivate those three values in our lives. Now, as we look down and we've come to verse 8, and we're going to deal with verse 8 to 15 this morning. The flow here is rather simple. Paul tells the Christians that are in Rome that first he thanks God for them and that he prays particularly for them often, particularly that God would allow him, Paul, to finally go to Rome and be with those believers. And then he explains that he has had this desire for years, hoping to get there. And the reason he really wants to do it, he tells us, it's because Jesus has placed an obligation upon him as the apostle to the Gentiles. That's our passage. Let's begin with verse 8, Romans 1. First, well, just that word there. Paul does this once in a while. There's no second or third or fourth. He does it. So it's like he's left his introduction, the greeting section, and here comes the body of the letter. And so here we go. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, I have to think that these Christians way out west in the capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome, when this letter arrived by a bunch of other Christians whom Paul sent, they must have been shocked to receive this letter from the now famous Apostle Paul. They've never met him. Paul hasn't met them. They have heard of him, just like they've heard of Peter and, and John and, and Matthew. But now here comes a letter personally to them. And so Paul explains in the second half of that verse why he's doing it. Look, I know all about you, and I've known about you for years now. Because your faith is leaked out of Rome when people would matriculate through the empire. And we have heard of your love for Jesus. As he says it here, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now that's hyperbolic. 
<laughs> he doesn't mean the entire planet. He means the Roman Empire. And particularly he means the eastern part of the Roman Empire where he's planted all these churches. All your fellow believers throughout this entire area, we know of you. We've been hearing reports over the years when people would leave Rome and come and say, Paul, you should, you, you should see these believers in Rome. We hear encouraging stories. So I've known about you for years. And he says, because of that, I have been praying for you and thanking God for you. Now notice, the idea of God, theism, as opposed to atheism, it is not an academic, disinterested, philosophical concept for Paul. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. My God, Paul here is referring to his intimate relationship and devotion to God, his Father. But notice, he prays, he goes to God specifically through Jesus Christ. Why did he do that? Why do true Christians cry out with the personal and intimate Abba? Aramaic for daddy, Abba, Father, to the God of the universe? The answer is simple. Because the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, has been poured out into our hearts, bringing that intimacy. He prays to God through Jesus Christ. Another way to, to say what he's getting at is that the only way that God, the one true God, became Paul's God in the way he means it was through the person of Jesus through Jesus' sacrificial death, which was a substitution for Paul. Paul and all Christians who believe in Jesus in this gospel have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. No sinful human being on this planet today is fit to approach the one true God in and of themselves. But only through Jesus, our mediator, 
In Ephesians 2.18, Paul said it this way. Through Him, context is Jesus, and Paul's a Jew, a religious Jew, all his life up until meeting Jesus. Through Jesus, we both, meaning Jews and all other people, non-Jews, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And he will say in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we, who have come to faith in Jesus, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. God is at peace with us. Really? As bad as I am? That's what Paul would say. That's what I would say. And the answer is yes. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Timothy 2.5, he says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. All believers in God throughout the world, all monotheists believing in one God, do not equally have access to God's ear like this. They do not all have peace with God. Judaism, Islam, monotheistic religions, and all other religious traditions are a dead end. There's only one way of finding grace, of finding mercy, of finding love from God, and that is through faith in His Son and His Son's saving work in the cross, His death, and His triumph in bodily resurrection from the dead. And so Paul, he opens up this body of the letter saying, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. For all of you, Roman Christians. And then he gets specific about what he's praying for. These particular Christians in Rome in verses 9 and 10. He says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking, that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Yeah, that's, that's strong language. God is in the dock, is a witness, testifying what I'm telling you, I really do, he says, get alone with God. And I pray for you 
regularly. God is my witness. The question in our day is, when we're on a, a group prayer chat, prayer text, and you put the hands up, what do you call those things? Well, yeah, whatever. Praying. Do you mean it? Like Paul? Is God our witness confirming that when we, and if we say that, we say, I'm going to do that. Here's Paul. He, he has encountered the resurrected Jesus numerous occasions. He is his personal apostle. He's a teacher of teachers, a theologian of theologians, and he believed deeply in the efficacy of petitioning God to do this or that. Now notice what we just read. He got a little wordy. He, he, he just, I don't just pray to God. He goes on to define God in his own par particular position in the world with God, which he could have left out and it flows perfectly fine. That's why it's basically a parenthesis. Verse 9 again. For God is my witness. Oh, God, that is, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Now that word he's using there for serve, what he's doing is he's referring to his priestly service. Yeah, now I don't mean Roman Catholicism priestly service, I mean Old Testament tabernacle, temple, priest, sacrifices animals and vegetables and libations and praise offerings and good smelling aroma to God's nostrils. He says at the very core of his being, he says his spirit, it has been united with the Holy Spirit. What he is trying to say here is this is referring to my Paul's apostolic calling, mission, spreading and teaching the gospel of His Son, particularly to Gentiles. Remember how He already said it in verse 1. Set apart for the gospel of God. God, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Now, why do I bring that priestly thing in? Because in the same letter in chapter 15, listen to what he says in chapter 15 of Romans, starting around verse 15. He says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be, and here's the same word for serve, but in the noun form, to be a servant of Christ Jesus 
to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about going into the temple anymore in Jerusalem and offering up wheat offerings and wine offerings or a praise offering of an animal. He says, things have changed. I'm a priest. And what aroma goes up to God is me fulfilling my mission that He called me to in spreading this gospel. And when Gentiles hear it and those who are called believe, it's an offering to God. And that's why he adds those words of clarity in verse 9 of chapter 1. Because it makes sense in the context that we're reading this morning. Because his prayer is to visit Rome and to get some more fruit like he does from the rest of the Gentiles. He's talking about his apostolic mission. Then in verse 10 he goes on. Always in my prayers. Now, what, what, how do you pray when you think about these Christians in Rome, Paul? He tells us, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now, with my tongue in my cheek, I say... Be careful what you pray for. God eventually answered that prayer, but not the way Paul envisioned. Notice in this prayer too, he recognizes God's sovereignty. Paul knows if he makes it to Rome, it's only because God wills it. And what God eventually did will to get Paul to Rome was three years of jail time, and then an appeal to Caesar, and then a free boat ride to Rome while he was in shackles. And Proverbs 16.9 just pops into our head. Heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then Paul goes on to explain in verses 11 and 12 his desire to be with him. He says, look, for, a, for I long, I yearn to see you. In order that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Doesn't mean I'm going to come and then I'm going to lay hands on you and then you're going to get a gift. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, have a gift and I want to strengthen you 
with it. Now, he's talking to those who have been born again there. They've already come to saving faith in Jesus. He wants to strengthen that faith. The foundation's laid. He now wants to build on that foundation. And he wants to do it with his spiritual gift. So when he says that here, I know that what pops into most of our minds, oh, it sounds familiar, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 about those spontaneous gifts listed, like gifts of healing or prophecy. I don't think that's what he means here. But he's referring to his apostolic calling, particularly to explain and unfold and teach the gospel. His gift is to establish and strengthen their foundation, make it more robust and stronger. Now, He is actually already imparting this gift through the writing of this letter. I think R.C. Sproul is correct when, when he writes, Paul is referring to establishing believers in confidence and maturity in their faith. This is why Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. And it is why, in the providence of God, his letter is given to us. That the faith that has taken root in our souls may be established so that we grow to maturity and full conformity to the image of Christ. We're tasting of Paul's gift. Now, but here he's, Paul thinks his writing is one thing, but for him to get there and to be with them face to face to say these things, to field questions, to elaborate on what he's writing in this letter is even better. That's what he's saying. That's why I yearn to be there. And so that he's not like, well, do we have anything to give you? No, no, no. Paul clarifies in verse 12 now. Watch. That is... Don't, don't miss my point here, Paul says. Oh, I, I want to strengthen you. But, but that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Mine, Paul's, and yours, you Christians in Rome. I need encouragement from you. Paul knows the importance and the joy of true Christian fellowship. Not just Christians. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. And let's go hang out. And that's a good thing to do. I like to do that. That's part of life. Normal life. Lots of Christians today throughout America will be at Super Bowl parties. That's fine. 
That's not particularly what he's talking about here. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, let's go watch a game together. He's talking about hanging together around Jesus, around the Word, around prayer and worship. It's, it's a mutual encouragement. We believers derive from being around each other, seeing each other's faith in the truth of the gospel. Paul just said, when I see you face to face and your love for Jesus, that's encouraging, Paul says, to me. Watching the gospel, your faith in the truth of Christ, reflect off of your personal life and soul. That's who Paul really is. I don't think Paul ever wanted, when it came to with, with believers, as opposed to evangelism with unbelievers, I don't think he ever wanted to preach at people. I think he wanted to be with the people who are also called to Jesus Christ. He wanted that. Why? In, in, in order that in his own life and in his gifting and teaching, he could encourage them. Don't stop there, though. And because he knew how much he needed encouragement from other believers. And that doesn't happen on an academic level. That happens by knowing others and being known by them. Pastor C.H. Spurgeon, he speaks words of wisdom to us from his 19th century commentary on Romans saying quote Paul wanted his faith to establish theirs and their faith to establish his Christians grow rich by the exchange of spiritual commodities and I am afraid some Christians are very poor because they do not engage in the spiritual bartering with one another. You know how it was in the old time? They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Shall I tell you how it is now in 1870s London, England? They that fear not the Lord speak often one against another. That is a very sad difference. Oh, for more Christian communion, for when we blend our mutual faith, we are comforted together. Each believer grows stronger as he cheers his brother in the Lord. Mm. Hope that was worth it. Paul then explains that this is 
been his desire for a long time to get there. He just has not been free. Hasn't worked yet. What he means is, his missions in the eastern part of the empire and all those regions over the last couple decades has not been completed or finished. But when he's writing this letter, and he tells them at the end of it, he knows, I've exhausted the eastern part of the empire. Okay, now my plan is, from here, he's in Corinth, is to go back east to Jerusalem one more time and give that offering to them. And then from there, I intend to go to you in Rome and be helped by you financially on my way to Spain. He's feeling really confident. God's going to probably make this happen now. That's what he's saying in verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. But I want to come to you. Why? Here's the purpose. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish world. He's driven to bring the gospel to towns that have not yet heard of Jesus. That's his drive. And that's what kept him tied up in the east. It hindered him. We know that because listen, this is how he says it in chapter 15. He says in verse 22, chapter 15 of Romans. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for missions or work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy, and be refreshed in your company. And as he says here, I want to reap, literally what the word is fruit. I want some fruit to pick off the, your tree there in Rome. Because he's the apostle to the Gentiles, and the vast majority of the church there is Gentile. It's kind of like, his ministry. He does want to preach to them. He wants to teach to them. He wants to be encouraged by them and vice versa. But I think when he says fruit here that he probably also has in mind not just preaching to believers. This is the capital city, the largest city in the Roman Empire. It's over one million people at that time. He's thinking about outreach to so many unbelieving Gentiles there still in Rome. He's driven, and he unveils the reason he is so driven to do this. Verse 14, here it is. This is why everything you heard him say, because I am under obligation. I have a debt. 
I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, in that verse, there are no Jews in there. Both to the Greeks, what he's really saying here is, this is the Roman Empire, okay? You had Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and the Greeks and the mathematics, etc. And then you had Aristotle's student named Alexander. Alexander the Great then spread the Greek language and the Greek culture and the Greek civilization it had developed throughout the known world. A few hundred years earlier, it's called Hellenization, Greek eyes, very highly educated. And like today, English is that language around the world for commerce. So was Greek throughout the Roman Empire. So whether they're the very educated Greek speakers or whether they're very uneducated, not this kind of a civilization at all, those barbarians. Barbarian babblers that can't speak Greek, all those white people way up north. Those are the barbarians. Both to the wise, in other words, and to the foolish. doesn't matter. The gospel is to go to everybody. Jesus gave Paul, as we have seen the last few weeks, this unique call. It's Jesus' personal apostle to the non-Jewish world. And Paul says, that has placed an obligation upon me. He owes the truth. He owes the gospel message to unbelievers. He owes it to them to hear it because if they don't hear it, they cannot believe in Jesus. And if they don't believe in Jesus, they cannot call upon him in order to be saved from the coming judgment. Listen to how Paul says that in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's true this morning. You hear the gospel, the good news that the one and only holy God who is always just has made a way for us who are sinners and have disdained His glory by sending His eternal Son to become a human being in order that God would impute, reckon our sin to be His on the cross and enact justice upon it. And kill Him. And then raise Him from the dead. And that if you are in him, you'll know what he did on the cross was for you, which means removed all of your guilt and all of your sin forever. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then 
will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Can't. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? You can't. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They can't. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul is a personal sent one from Jesus. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. As he's told us in verse 1, I have been set apart for the gospel of God. He owes a debt because he's sent uniquely and personally by Jesus. Listen to how he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. Why, Paul? Because necessity is laid upon me. Woe, very bad. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. But that debt that Paul owes was not like paying massive credit card debt every month. I gotta do it. Here goes all that money again. Now, Paul sees this as a huge privilege. And therefore, because of that, no matter what that preaching of the foolishness of a crucified man and all these eyewitnesses proclaiming, he came back not to mortal life, but to immortal bodily human life. What all that silly talk, according to the world, may bring to him, what hardships it may bring. He's already had tons of them. And boy, he is in for some coming up just a couple months after this when he gets to Jerusalem. No matter how much persecution, no, mo, no matter how much ridicule come his way, Paul knows the reality, the truth. And he has it. And he's un, under obligation to proclaim it. And therefore, knowing all of that, he makes it clear. I'm not ashamed. People may try to shame me, but I'm not ashamed of carrying this message of salvation to the world. He's not ashamed because it's the truth. He's not ashamed because of what the gospel really is. Okay, that's, I just did verse 15, our last verse for us. That's what he's saying. So, I'm eager, eager to preach the gospel to you also 
who are in Rome. Why, Paul? He ain't done. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone or anyone who believes it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why, Paul? Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now that is an argument of verse for verse 15. And it also operates as Paul's thesis statement of the next 11 chapters. And we'll come to that next time. But as I close this morning, this, this Jesus message is the only thing that can, can bring, guarantee, secure any of our eternal life and joy with God. It's the only remedy for our sin and the future judgment which is very problematic outside of Christ. But coming to Jesus, okay, say we've come to Jesus like the Christians in Rome. That's only the beginning. And I don't just mean the beginning from here to the resurrection in the future and for eternity. That's true. The beginning in this mortal life. It's the beginning. Paul's spiritual gift started when he wrote this letter and unfolded the gospel to cause their understanding to go deeper and deeper and deeper. He shared their gift with them and thus with us. That we would go deeper into the grace and the mind of God. And Paul, by his own example, teaches us to go there, ultimately not alone, but in the fellowship with other believers. Quote, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So, pay close attention to every jot and tittle of this treasure that we call the epistle of Paul to the Romans. Dear believer, it's your life. It's your strength. It's your growth. And what's in it is your mutual communion with other tangible believers.
Father, we thank you for the gift of Paul to the church. We thank you for the gift of this letter. And we would know it. We would learn it. We would revel in it. We would be spurred on to fight the fight of faith. To be those who yearn to be a strength and encouragement to brothers and sisters. And be those who are not shy about needing encouragement and help from fellow believers. All to the glory of your name. Through this word that we have heard in in our closing time. Oh, let all of it just echo now back unto you through the praises of our lips. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us stand.